Good morning. Welcome to New Life. We're so glad that you're here today. I'm Pastor Chris. For those of you who are new or watching online for the first time, uh, we're in the second week of Mountain Monologues. It's a Sermon on the Mount, and uh, if you have your Mountain Monologues booklet, it looks like this. If you would turn with me to page 9, we're in the second week. As I said, we're going to talk about salt and light. If you don't have one of these booklets and you would like one, if you raise your hand, an usher will bring one to you. So, um, as I said, we're going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there are biblical scholars who think that the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters in the Bible, is uh, all one sermon. And there are those who think that it's a bunch of messages put together by Matthew so that we would have the teaching of Jesus. What we're going to do is what we usually do in the summer. We always have a short book of the Bible and we go through it verse by verse. And uh, I know it's not summer. Uh, actually, I stood outside for 20 minutes. I can tell you it is not summer. Um, and, uh, but, and the Sermon on the Mount isn't a whole book of the Bible, but we believe it's very important to teach this extended teaching of Jesus, most extended teaching of Jesus there is found in the Gospels, verse by verse through the summer and the spring. So we're going to do that. But as I said, these people argue back and forth. Is it one sermon? Is it a whole bunch of sermons put together to make it easier to memorize? Well, here's the point. We have the words of our God for how to live life his way. Whether it's one sermon or many sermons, it, it, it doesn't really matter. Matthew may have indeed collected the teachings of Jesus and put them in one place for easier memorization. We don't know. The, the reason that we don't know for sure is obviously it happened so long ago and Matthew put it together. But what we do know is they had to memorize stuff if they were going to remember it. They couldn't get out their Bible or their Bible app or their mountain monologue booklet because there were no books. You know, they had a few copies and maybe in every city they might have one copy of the scriptures. And so if you wanted to learn what Jesus said, you had, would have to go to Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, one of these people who had recorded all this information and hear what they said from the one they wrote down. And then scribes would write it down. But it was very difficult to get a copy of scripture. I want you to picture what if you had the uh, only thing you knew about Jesus, what you heard in messages... Or what you heard somebody teach. Wouldn't that be hard? That would be a challenge. We have, you know, most of us have more than one copy of the Bible. And some of us have it in different languages. But it's a real blessing to have that. So these scholars are, are an example that Christians like to argue. And I would say that American Christians like to argue more than any other Christians. And, and the reason I say that is because we have more time in our hands than most people in the world in the past. And many people in the world today. Now, you might argue with me about whether you have time on your hands, but that would just prove my point, <laughs> right? Uh, and when I say we have time on our hands, what I mean is we don't have to get up at daylight and work in the fields until nighttime just to feed our families. We don't, most of us don't have to do that. There's still a few people that do. Most of us don't. And that's the way it was. And what I hear so often is people say to me, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read my Bible, and, and that's true if we fill our lives with so much activity, you know, our activities, our kids' activities, you know, social media and video games and all those things that can fill up our lives. It's really true. We won't have time if that's the way we live our lives. Now, the other thing is, I heard uh, this week, and I say I heard, I'm listening to a book. I listen to books while I'm driving, and this lady said this. She said, most Americans wake up in the morning and say, I didn't get enough sleep. And they go to bed at night and say, I didn't get enough done. So we live in a culture of scarcity. We live in one of the most wealthy nations on the planet. And yet we say, I didn't get enough sleep. I didn't get enough done. I don't have enough money. I'm just not enough. Now, there are people, there are people 
who do have time and take time, make time to read their Bibles and they, they pray and, and they read all these other books, you know, about theology. And then they get together and they argue about stuff. They argue about whether the Sermon on the Mount is one message or whether it's a bunch of messages. They argue about whether the Holy Spirit is still active today like he was in the first century or whether the Holy Spirit is just sort of our conscience and we sort of have to do it on our own and we just sort of have to be guided by that conscience. We argue about whether we have free will or whether God dictates everything that's going on. And here's the thing. We argue about many things, which gives us less time to do what Jesus commands. Last week, when we started this series on Easter weekend, I said there's a key, and here is the key. Living the Sermon on the Mount requires resurrection power. And I equated resurrection power to the power of the Holy Spirit. And what I said is we're going to read many verses in the Sermon on the Mount. Today, we're going to read them, and they're going to be impossible for us to do in our own power. And so if we try to do it in our own power, what's going to happen is we're going to get very frustrated, and we're going to give up. Or maybe we'll have a little success here, a little success there, and what will happen is we'll become self-righteous, prideful. And as we think about these things, I want, I, all I'm saying is without the Holy Spirit's power in our lives... We're not going to be able to do what we're going to talk about these 20 weeks. Back in 1999, I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip to China. And we had the opportunity to talk to 40, or teach, I should say, teach 40 house church leaders for a week. And I want you to picture the commitment of these people. Because there were some of them who had traveled two days on a train standing up because they couldn't afford to buy a ticket to sit down. Now, if I told you that you had to ride a train for two days standing up to come to New Life to worship, don't raise your hand, please, because I don't really want to know how many of you would actually come, right? But that's the kind of commitment level they had. But my favorite part of the week was every day in the afternoon, one of these house church leaders, and the youngest one was a 12-year-old girl. Yes, I just said a 12-year-old girl, and the oldest one was in their 70s, a 70-some-year-old man. Okay, they would come up, one of them would come up and share their testimony. And the first one, that, the one that I remember the most, actually, actually there's two, I'm going to share both of them with you this morning. The first one was a woman who was hosting a house church meeting in her, in her house, and she was not the pastor, but she was, it was her home. And so the police came, and so everybody left out the back door except for her. She stayed, she got arrested, she got put in jail for two years. She wasn't even charged just because she was having a house church meeting in her house, right? So in this prison... Uh, every prisoner was given a plot of land and some seeds, and they had to plant that plot of land, and they had to grow vegetables. So this woman, uh, when she planted her vegetables, every day, you know, she weeded the garden, and she prayed for Jesus to make her garden grow. And so after a few months, what happened, when it was time, you know, not even time for harvest yet, all of her plants were twice as big as everybody else's. So the warden called her into his office, and he said, I want you to explain to me what is going on. And she said, well, sir, I pray every day in the name of Jesus for my plants to grow, and he is hearing me and blessing my garden. So, you know, the, the warden knew something. He knew that she had the same seeds as everybody else, had the same conditions as everybody else. The only thing that was different was what she said. And, and so he could have argued with her, right? He's an atheist because, you know, that's the way he's an atheist. But he didn't argue with her. What he did was he, he knelt down and accepted Jesus as his Savior and Lord. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And so, being the warden, he got her pardoned a few weeks after that. 
And she went back and she became a pastor. So the next one I'm going to tell you about is a young man, and he was in the military. Everybody, you know, has to serve in the military in China for a couple years. And so he was doing his obligatory military assignment. And he was, a, he was depressed because he felt like his life didn't matter. He was not important, and he was never going to, have to make a name for himself, you know. And in a, in a country with a more than a billion people, it's tough to make a name for yourself. So he decided, since he was in the army, he would go, you know, take some explosives from, from the supplies, the munition supplies, and he would, you know, blow up a train, and at least they would know his name because he blew up a train. That was his plan. So he decided before he blew up the train, though, he would go home and see his family one last time. So he took the munitions in his duffel bag, you know, he got on the train, and he went home. And so when he got home, his mom and dad, who had always been rather aloof, never really seemed that caring and loving, never towards each other, towards the kids, nothing, you know, um, they were beaming, and they were just, they were loving each other, and they loved him, and they asked him how he was doing, you know, and, and so they said, we want you to come with us to this meeting tonight. So that night, they went to a house church meeting, and uh, he went the next night, and the next night, and the third night, he gave his life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So then he went back to the military base, obviously he didn't blow up the train, because he wouldn't have been telling me this story if he had. <laughs> okay, so, so anyway, now he's a Christian. So what does he do? Well, what he does is he wakes up every morning, and whatever his task for the day was, he did it as if he were doing it for Jesus, and not just as an obligatory thing for the military. And in a week, his commanding officer called him into his office and said, what's going on with you? Like, you work harder than everybody else. Your attitude is so positive. You're helping everybody. You know, since you came back from leave, there's a, there's a difference that, you know, I want to know what it is. And he said, well, sir, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. And the commanding officer said, don't tell anybody. He said, from now on, you're going to be my personal attendant. You're going to work for me for the rest of your time in the Army. And, and that's how it worked. He didn't tell anybody else about Jesus. He just did his stuff, and he just worked every day for this guy, and he got an honorable discharge, and after he got out, he became a pastor. So in the middle of the week, um, one of the pastors came up to Pastor Mark Geppert, who was the head of it was a Southeast Asia Prayer Center mission, and, and he said to him, we would like you to address a particular issue. And Mark said, sure, what is it? And he said, the Holy Spirit you know, the signs and wonders and, and, and speaking in tongues. Because all these missionaries are coming from America and they're telling us so many different things. And, you know, some are telling us, you know, that, that, that the Holy Spirit isn't really working anymore. He's just like our conscience. And, and they're telling us that the speaking in tongues isn't real and you shouldn't be praying for healing. And, you know, we just want to know what's right because we want to honor God. So there were, besides Pastor Mark, there were three of us, and so each of us stood up, and we each took our turn talking about the Holy Spirit's work in, in, you know, today. And all three of us affirmed that the Holy Spirit is working today, and, and that everything that happened in, in, the, in the time of Jesus is still happening, because there's only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, so He's the same. And, and so they, um, they were happy about that, because, you know, they had been praying for their garden to grow, and it grew twice as big as everybody else's, and they had been praying for people to get healed, and they were getting healed, and they didn't really want to stop doing that, but they wanted to be obedient to Jesus. And you might be wondering, what does this have to do with the Sermon on the Mount? It has everything to do with the Sermon on the Mount, because you see what I said before about resurrection power and about the Holy Spirit. We can't do any of the stuff we're going to be reading about all summer unless the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. And so I want to underline that before we turn to this passage. It's a very familiar passage. For those of you who have been coming since Christmas, it's going to be a really familiar passage. Because we did three weeks called Mary and Bright, if you remember. And we talked about Matthew 5, 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. Well, today we're going to talk about Matthew 5, 13 to 16. So it has the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
So even if you have never been to New Life, you might have heard, you know, that Jesus said, we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So let's read what it says. It's Matthew 5, 13 to 16. You can follow along in your monologue booklet or in your own Bible or up on the screen. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under, under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give your glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth that Jesus offered, that you call us salt and light. And God, we pray today that your Holy Spirit would fill us, that we might understand what that means and, and even more importantly, that we might live that out in our daily lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Salt and light, two essential ingredients for life. Now, I know that salt, at least the sodium part of, light, of salt, has been given a bad rap since the 1970s. But the truth of the matter is, if you don't have salt in your body, you die. When we go to the hospital, if they want to put an IV in us, The very first thing they put into the IV is normal saline solution, nine grams of sodium chloride in a liter of water. That's what they do, and they put it there because that's the same salinity as our body. So we do need salt. Now, in Jesus' day, salt was much more important than it is today because they didn't have refrigerators. So they had to salt their meat so they could preserve it for a while. They also used it medicinally. They used it for the same thing we use it. They used it to make things taste better. But they also, in some places, even used it for money. Have you ever heard the saying, he isn't worth his salt? It just means he isn't worth his pay. So salt was a very important thing. In the same way, light was also very, very important. And in Jesus' day, remember, there was no artificial light. There was the sun, there were oil lamps, and there was fire. And so when the sun went down, people went to bed. I bet you they didn't wake up every day and say, I didn't get enough sleep, right? So here's the take-home point for today. Jesus' followers are salt and light in a dark and tasteless world. Jesus' followers are salt and light in a dark and tasteless world. What a powerful statement. When you walk into your classroom at school or when you walk into the break room at work or whenever, you're anywhere. What Jesus says is people should look at you and say, wow, You know, I know that that you have something to offer. In fact, people should be calling us up on the phone, and they should be saying, hey, I'm having a party next weekend. I know you Christians really know how to add zest to life. Why don't you come? So so how many had that phone call last week? Hmm. Yeah, we laugh, but it's really not that funny. You know what I'm thinking. Okay, so anyway, the the, the reality is when we say stuff like that, we laugh because people in our culture aren't calling us up when they're in trouble. You know, and saying, hey, I know you're close to God. Would you come and pray for me? Uh, And they don't assume that whenever, uh, whenever there's trouble that we would call a Christian. Because oftentimes in our culture today, what we find is that the opposite is the case. So let's look. How is it? How is it that we aren't salt and we aren't light? Well, let's look again real quickly at these verses. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So tasteless salt. It adds the sodium but doesn't do anything good. And what Jesus says, nobody wants that kind of salt. 
In fact, what they do is if they take it out, in, in those days, they would throw it outside because at least it would, you know, lower the dust level along the street. So that's really the only purpose that you can have. So how could a Christian who is called by Jesus, salt, be like that? How is it that we could have no influence, no impact in others? Well, it's actually rather simple how we can be that way. All we have to do is to fail to invest time and energy in our relationship with Jesus. And um, here's what happens so often. We let the busyness of the world keep us from the business of Jesus. We let the busyness of the world keep us from the business of Jesus. And what's the business of Jesus? Relationship. From relationship with him and relationship with each other. Uh, a long time ago, I read a book by Eugene Peterson, and he wrote these words. We let, uh, the, object, the adjective busy to describe a pastor ought to be viewed in the same way as the adjective adulterous to describe husband or embezzling to describe banker. Now, you might not be a pastor, but if you're a Christian, that statement applies to you. Busy Christian, adulterous husband, embezzling banker. Now, you, you and I know that embezzling banker is a bad thing. Adulterous husband is a bad thing. But we might think that, embez uh, that a, a busy Christian is a good thing. In fact, that's what our culture teaches, right? The busier we are, the better we are. And, and, and I know if you're like me... Um, I want to get seven or eight hours of sleep at night, but when I do, I feel sort of guilty because, you know, I can sleep when I'm dead, right? I mean, that's what our culture teaches us, that, that if you're not getting seven hours of eight hours, or if you are getting seven or eight hours of sleep, that there's something wrong with you. And so we become tasteless salt when we let the things of the world infiltrate that relationship with Jesus, which then infiltrates all of our relationships. And so nobody thinks that we're of value when it comes to a time where there's something really important going on and, and we want to have people around. People don't call us when they're in trouble. People don't call us when they're looking to be encouraged. These days, people tend to think that Christians are what? Haters? Hypocrites? That, that we really don't have time for them, that we're not interested in them. So how do we fix that? The answer is we don't. We don't fix it. God does. That's why Jesus died on the cross, why he rose from the dead, why he went back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit into us. You see, we can't try harder to be salt. We can't try harder to be light. It doesn't work. Now, I'm not saying we don't have to give it our best. We do. But we need the Holy Spirit's power to change us. I mean, it was the Holy Spirit that caused those plants to grow twice the rate as everything else. It wasn't the woman's, you know, good thoughts. It was the Holy Spirit that changed that man who wanted to kill himself to make a name for himself into somebody who wanted to serve in the name of his master and who continued to do that later on as a pastor. So as long as we consider busyness a badge of honor, we're going to be tasteless salt. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad today. I'm going to go back to Mrs. Pearson, first grade, who taught me that when you point your finger at somebody else, you've got three pointing back at you. Some people say four, but my thumb points down when I point at you. So anyway, I'm, I'm triply, you know, listening to this message because busyness is seen as a badge of honor and when we fall into that lie and believe it then we're going to be tasteless salt so let's look very briefly at light as I said we had three messages about it so we're not going to take a lot of time on that but uh, Jesus said you are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand 
and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So while Jesus' illustration here comes from a time when there was no artificial light produced by electricity, we understand what he was saying. He was saying light is intended to be seen and it is to make it easier for others to see. Light exists to be seen and to make it easier for others to see. And you might remember from the December series that cities in ancient Israel were built on hillsides. You remember because Jesus said cities set on a hill can't be hid? The reason why cities were built on hillsides is because it was easier to defend a city from the enemies who you could see coming if, the, if you were up on a hill. The second reason is because all of the good land for planting crops was in the bottom. And there isn't a lot of good land in Israel, so you, planted, you built your cities on the hillside. And what Jesus said is, if you look at a city at night, there's oil lamps, you know, you can't hide that. And what Jesus was saying is, we're not supposed to hide our light. We're not supposed to hide the reality when we go to work or we go to school or we have family gatherings that we're followers of Jesus. Now, think about it. That woman in the prison, she never told anybody she was a Christian, but everybody knew it. Everybody knew something was different about it, right? I mean, everybody's like, what's going on? And eventually, it caused that warden to become a follower of Jesus. That man in the army didn't tell anybody about Jesus. But his life was light and salt for his commanding officer and caused the commanding officer to what? Trust him. <laughs> Can you imagine? This guy finds somebody finally. This guy's going to work hard. He's going to do everything I tell him. He probably can keep a secret. So I want him around me. I want that guy to be my immediate personal assistant. And that's how it should be. When people look around and see Christians, that's what they ought to say. I want that guy. I want that woman. I want that person to be part of my life because I know my life is going to be better, brighter, tastier, zestier, healthier, all those things because there's a follower of Jesus Christ around us. So when people taste the salt and see the light in us, it says, Jesus said this, they will glorify God because they know we aren't naturally salt or light. When we argue, nobody's surprised because human beings argue. When we're filled with pride, nobody's surprised because human beings are filled with pride. When we go to a baseball game and the umpire makes a bad call, nobody's surprised when we scream because that's what fallen human beings do. When we're sitting at a traffic light and there's a car in front of us and the light turns green and, and, and the person in the second honks the horn, nobody's surprised because that's what darkness is about. I'm first and you got to get out of my way. And there's hundreds of other things, cheating on tests. We could go down through the list. We all know what darkness looks like. And nobody's surprised when people do those things because that's what fallen people do. But this is the thing. Nobody is surprised when Christians do those things. All they do is say, well, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. And the truth of the matter is, if I say, this is what I am, but this is what I do, I'm a hypocrite. If my, my proclamation is here and my action is here, I'm a hypocrite. If I put what I say here and what I do is here, well, then I'm Jesus. Because only Jesus, of all the people who have ever lived, always does exactly what he says. If Jesus told you he was going to do something, he did it. Now, here to here, that's the hypocrisy factor. It could be this wide. But as we follow Jesus, as the Holy Spirit works in our life, it comes closer and closer and closer. And obviously the goal is this, that when we say something, people will know that's what we're going to do. When we profess something, that people are going to see that in our life. 
When we say that Jesus is Lord, meaning master, owner, people are going to say, huh, your life is different. Now, the cool thing is, when that happens, people are not going to say, wow, you're a great person. Because they lived with you or they lived around you. <laughs> you know, my mother, the first time she saw me preach, I was wearing a robe back in those days, I a Presbyterian pastor. My mother said to me after the service, when I saw you up there in that robe preaching, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. Because, you know, I tried to shoot her when I was five years old. I, 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 I did a lot of things that were not good things. And in our lives, people look at us, and our family members in particular, they know, you know, we don't have all the spots on our dominoes, right? And so when we change because the blood of Jesus Christ has delivered us from sin and the power of the Holy Spirit is changing us from the inside out, people will glorify God. That's what happened to the warden in that prison. That's what happened to that commandant in that, you know, military place. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit is active and working in our lives. Now, there might be a couple people who say, well, you're a great person, but most people will give the credit to God. So here's today's next step. I will be salt and light in Jesus' name this week. I will be salt and light in Jesus' name this week. What's going to happen when you go to school and you sit down with that kid that nobody ever sits down with at lunch? And talk with them. What's going to happen when you go to work and everybody's dissing the boss, you know, and you say something kind about the boss? What's going to happen, you know, the next time you go to the baseball game and there's some really terrible call and you say, well, they miss a few every now and then. What's going to happen the next time there's a party, you know, and they're looking for somebody who's going to liven it up, you know? So here's the thing I want us to remember. Jesus believes in us. Jesus believes in us. He didn't say, you might be salt someday if you work hard enough. He didn't say, you might be light someday if you just get your act together, if you just, you know, get in this program, if you do these ten things. He said, you are the salt of the earth. By virtue of your relationship with me. You are the light of the world. And by the way, he said, I am the light of the world. He's the sun. We're the moon. We just reflect the light that he puts into our life. That's it. So when we live that way, in the power of the Holy Spirit, better get your phone bill paid. Because there's going to be calls coming. Right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and love. Thank you so much for believing in us. Thank you for sending Jesus to take away the sins of our lives, the sins of the world. Thank you for rising from the dead to show us what resurrection power means. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to show us how we can live because it's the only way we can live in this world in a way that brings light and that, that brings healing, that brings purpose and zest to life. God, we pray for a, a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our lives to bring us healing and strength and wholeness and so that we can be and do what you call us to be and do today and every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.